0: All right, Matthew chapter 9. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, our main passage is going to be starting in verse 14. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14, says Then the disciples of John came to him, Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin bursts and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but the new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Lord, help us to understand your word this morning. Most importantly, Lord, Holy Spirit, open us to receive it. You know where we're at, each of us in this room. In a different place. And it's amazing to me, God, how we can all read the same passage, all go through the same principles and truths of your word, and you speak to us in unique ways right where we're at. God, I pray you do that this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, what's going on here? John's disciples. Who are they? It's John the Baptist. Remember the one that came before Jesus? He had disciples. So John's disciples are going, What's going on? Jesus, your disciples have all the fun. Something like that, right? Right before this. They're talking about Jesus and his disciples hanging out with Matthew and the tax, you know, the tax collectors and sinners. They're just having a good old time. And then now look, we are fasting, we're practicing along with the Pharisees. And, and fasting back then, there was there was what was given in the law and then there was what they were adding on to that. It was this putting on sackcloth a mourning and fasting as this regular activity that they would do. And it, we're fasting, but your disciples aren't. What gives Jesus? What, what's going on here? And Jesus' answer doesn't really fully answer their question. He kind of answers like a parable, he, some analogies in there, some pictures. And it really is an incredible answer because now that we see the full picture through God's word, we can see what he's talking about when we dig into it. But they wouldn't have really known fully what Jesus was talking about. Something about a bridegroom and how can the guests with the bridegroom. Mourn, The fasting mourning. Why? why They shouldn't do that while while they're with the bridegroom. So there's something about Jesus that is that in his presence there should be joy, not mourning. And then there's these two analogies uh, of the the new patch sewn onto an old garment. It's an unshrunk patch. What happens then? Right. Then when the patch shrinks, it pulls away from the. It doesn't work. Don't you can't mix the new and the old. And that's kind of the point there, right? New wine put into an old wineskin. They would put wine into a a new wineskin and then it would over time stretch out that wineskin. You put new wine in there and then it's going to just burst the wineskin. You can't mix. So this idea of somehow what they're bringing to Jesus, this idea of fasting, is something that doesn't mix with something that's new in Jesus. There's something new the old that is what's represented by their means of fasting, and why aren't your disciples doing that, doesn't mix with the new. So there's something new here, something unique to Jesus and his disciples. It doesn't really go any further than that in his explanation. So what is the new? And, and, and applying the old to the new is destructive as well. It's kind of the the picture in here. You try to take this old thing and mix it with the new, it's gonna go badly. Look at this video with me. This poor lady, I don't know if she was borrowing a car or whatever, and she's trying to be nice and do what you're always supposed to do is gas it up before you give it back. But this isn't just any car, this is a Tesla. And if you know what a Tesla is, it doesn't take gas. It only takes electricity. She finally finds this thing that looks like a gas cap. It pops open. Great, I got a gas cap. That's not a gas cap. That's a charging port. You know, if I tried to put gas into a Tesla, if I could actually figure out how to do it, it's going to go very badly. Right? Gas does not belong in a Tesla, and this poor lady's still trying to figure out what's wrong with this whole thing. We understand the old doesn't go well with the new in this case, right? The old and the new don't mix, and if you try to force them together, things go badly. What is the new thing? that Jesus is talking about here. If they were paying attention, maybe some of them were, in the Old Testament, that new thing has already been spoken about. God's already calling His shots way ahead of time. Here's what's going to happen. We go back to Jeremiah chapter 31. In verse 31, God's speaking through Jeremiah. Jeremiah. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Fundamentally, the new thing here is a new covenant. What's a covenant? We're not used to covenants unless you've been around church for a while. Covenant's kind of like a contract. There was a practice of covenants in the Old Testament that people would make with each other. It was essentially their version of what we would do, a contract. You sign these, each sign at the bottom. Yes, we agree to these terms and conditions. Each of us has something that we are going to do according to this contract and there's going to be a result of it, right? That's, and, but covenants often, as we look in the scripture, have to do with God as either the one who is Witness or God as a participant. God makes covenants with people. It's kind of like a contract. God's saying, here, here's here's what's going to happen. And often in Scripture, um, He's making covenants where He really is the only actor. Right there at the very beginning, man sinned and died and God made a promise. His promises are covenants. He never breaks them. He will be faithful. He's the only person who truly is faithful and carries out his part of a covenant agreement in fullness of it. And right there, he said, the descendant of this woman and he was making a covenant pointing all the way to Jesus. The descendant of this woman is going to interact with Satan, the snake. snake is going to bruise his heel, crucify him on the cross, but he will not be destroyed but that snake his head is going to be crushed right that was a covenant promise when we talk about covenants the promises of God uh, and, and the world actually uh, functions uses a covenant that God designed whether they know it or not it's the covenant contract of marriage God designed that what are some of the agreements within marriage Um, Well, part of the agreement on the parties is that you leave father and mother. If you haven't left father and mother within the marriage contract, you've missed part of the covenant agreement that God designed. You must break away from father and mother, be joined to each other. And that joining together, what did he... We find out from Jesus. More details about that. That's something God becomes a witness to. He's the one that finally says, yes, these two are joined together. And he says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. The design of the covenant is until death, right? That's the design. We we break that all the time. That's a covenant. What did Jesus say? To even lust after someone is adultery? Well, that's a covenant that I've broken in my heart. We're not very good at keeping God's covenants. Well, God's made covenants, promises, that promise to Adam and Eve. They've got fancy names for all the covenants of God. There's a covenant that he made with with Noah, right? We see the rainbow. That's a reminder of a covenant that God made. I will never destroy the earth by flood again, right? That's a promise, There's no no acting part on our part. He's just made a covenant of himself. He made a covenant with Abraham. I I will make a nation out of you, land, people, right? Law, all all these things. I'm going to put together what is a nation out of you and and through you I'm going to bless the world. That was a covenant. What was on Abraham's part? All Abraham did was believe him. And then a little later... God gave Abraham a sign for that covenant, which was circumcision. There's the only part on Abraham's part for that particular covenant. Okay, we've got an acting part in that covenant. But then there was a covenant as as God led the people of Israel out of Egypt. There was a covenant that really did have a part for man to play in it. And that's the law. And the new covenant is replacing that one. That's the old covenant. And that, that old covenant was part of carrying out God's promise of all the covenants that came before. right? The one to Adam and Eve, that there would be this, this event in the future of salvation. The, the, the one to, to Abraham especially. How is that going to be carried out? It's going to be carried out through these people. And how he makes a covenant with these people and the carrying out of that covenant. contracts, covenants. In, in Jeremiah 31, continuing on in verse 32, it's going to not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Interesting, the Old Testament views Yahweh, the Lord God, as husbands to the people of Israel. Something we see there is Jesus saying, You're with who? The bridegroom, the Messiah, fulfilling the role of husband to the people of Israel. 33, for this is the covenant. Here's the new one. That new thing that Jesus is referring to. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So far there's not much for us to do here. This is God saying, I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. I'm going to be the one to change their hearts. This is a new covenant where I am going to carry what was before in the old covenant their requirement to follow the law. That was the acting part in the old covenant, the old contract. Here it is, and you get it throughout Deuteronomy. If you obey my word, do the things that I said, there will be blessing, and I will take care of you. You will be my people. But if you don't, there will be curse. And they broke that covenant. They did not follow it. But now he's saying there's a new covenant. I'm going to be the one to change your heart so that you follow the law. I'm going to put my law on your heart so that's what you desire I'm going to be the one to make your part happen. 34, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, try to teach each other about the Lord. Why? Because they shall all know me. There's this new covenant. You're not going to have to train people and and. What, the, what God is like, because they're going to actually know God personally. Every person is. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will what? Forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's the new. The new is a new covenant, a new agreement. What's our part? in this new contract. He's saying, these things you're bringing, disciples, that doesn't fit with this new contract, with this new thing. The old doesn't fit with the new. And if you try to combine them, it's like trying to put gas in a Tesla. It's going to go badly. So what is our part in this covenant? Well, we looked backwards. Let's look forwards a little bit. Romans chapter 3. If you ever want to get into, you could say the legal details of the covenant that we have with Christ, the new covenant. Read Romans. There's the legalese of the new covenant. It's wonderful. It's deep. It's rich. Gets into how this ties into Abraham and everything else. This is replacing the covenant that was carrying out the covenant with Abraham. Now, yes, this covenant is going to carry out The promise to Abraham. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What's that saying? That old covenant of the law, separate from now, separate from that, the righteousness of God has been manifest. There's something new and it's apart from the law, even though the law, the prophets, all that Old Testament stuff pointed towards this new covenant. It's always been there the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's our part. In this contract, this new covenant drawn up by God, here's our first point concerning the new covenant. It operates by faith on our part. That's our part. Jesus has done, God has provided for every other part, the the carrying out of the law, the righteous requirements on the cross, He accomplished forgiveness of sin, He bore our iniquities, all of those things that couldn't be done in the old covenant, He has accomplished. And now through faith, that's our part. For there is no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned. And actually notice, sorry, before in verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This covenant now extends beyond Israel and Judah. This new contract includes all who would believe in Jesus Christ now have a covenant with God, a contract agreement entered into by faith, sustained by faith. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter what family you grew up in, doesn't matter what your background is, how good a person you are. Mother Teresa is included in this list. Everyone has sinned, doesn't measure up, falls short of God's Perfect standard, His glory. We fall short of God's glory. And so, to to have what this contract accomplishes, which is fellowship with God, the contract has to draw out how that sin is overcome, how that sin problem is dealt with, so that we're not falling short of the one we're supposed to be in fellowship with, to be His people. To be his possession. That can't happen when sin is in there. So, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, 24, and are justified in this contract by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's the contract. How do you enter into it? By faith. How do you live in it? By faith. Trusting. God, trusting Jesus. Obedience is not to a set of terms and rules that are written into the contract. Obedience is to the person of Jesus Christ, who you are trusting by faith. Jesus was saying, You try to bring this old stuff into this covenant. It doesn't belong. It's going to be damaging. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, that was the issue there, essentially. Judaizers trying to say, yes, we know what it is to worship God. Here's all the things you need to do. Mourning and fasting. Put on sackcloth. You got to follow these rules. You need to be circumcised. You need to be... Well, circumcised goes back to Abraham. Shouldn't that be... Still there? We find out also by Paul. Yes, circumcision actually still is the sign of the covenant that God is carrying out in his faithfulness to his promise to Abraham, but it's not circumcision physically, it's a circumcision of the heart. That's the sign. What Jesus is doing to transform our heart, our desires is the sign of the covenant that we have entered into that covenant. How do you know you're, you're a part of that covenant? You should see heart change. Yes, that sign is there. But to come alongside and say all of these things of the law, the Mosaic covenant, that's the, the big fancy word, the, the covenant given through Moses. The Judaizers were saying to the Galatians, though, you've got to still do all that stuff. And Paul said, no, that's damaging. You're, you're, not, you're not giving the gospel, you're giving the gospel plus. It, it's, a, it's a different gospel. And Jesus says also, don't bring those things into this thing that is new. That is going to create something damaging. We need to beware, church, of what we might add to the pure simple contract that is the gospel this covenant when we say the gospel that's the good news what are we talking about we're talking about the new covenant through the blood of christ when we take communion what are we the bread signifies jesus body broken the the juice the wine fruit of the vine is is his blood what is the cup jesus said this is my the new covenant in my blood That's what we're remembering. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The new contract that's by grace. We enter through faith and we stand now in the grace of God, the free gift of God of what he has provided. Every last detail for us. No more condemnation. Free access to the throne of God. Only because of what He has done, we enter into it by faith and we stand in it by faith and we we grow in the the teaching of Jesus Christ by trusting Him in faith and following what He wants us to do in faith. It's all in faith. And when we try to bring other things into it, it's going to be destructive. There is a lot of conversation going on around us, isn't there? In every generation, there's been things that we might want to take and add as if it's an amendment to the contract of grace. The contract that God has that is the gospel. Gospel plus. If it was bad that they would take something, really, God-given, fasting, morning Before God. If Jesus is saying that's destructive, how much more so if we take now as Gentiles the moral attitudes, the moral standards of a godless base and try to attach that to the gospel? It's going to be destructive. There's many conversations that have a moral attitude to them, right? It's not bad to talk about moral issues, social, political issues. And there's a moral thread through there. Be careful, church, that we don't try to add any thread of that to the simple covenant that God has already put in place. We've already run across words like justice, As God is describing His covenant, that's justice as God has defined justice. It's perfect and pure. We don't need to redefine what God has defined as justice. What God has defined as sin. All have sinned. Don't try to assume any reasoning, moral reasoning of the world that would say that that there's a different definition of sin. Right? We've all sinned. God's plan for redemption. This new covenant gives us the fullness of God's plan for that. It's only through Jesus Christ. Through faith. It can only be accomplished by His grace. Boy, so many conversations. It's very easy to think, well, in order to really be a Christian... then this, whatever the issue is, you, you, should, you have to walk in this line, in this trail, in this path. That's making an amendment to God's covenant. If I'm starting to talk salvation issues, God's already laid it out. You may have already run into fancy terms that make no sense. Critical theory. What's that about? social justice, critical race theory. You don't actually need to know what that's all about. If you are rooted solid in knowing the covenant that God has already made, how He's defined sin, how He has defined justice, how He has defined what salvation is, what it means to be without condemnation, and how you get there. If you know His covenant, then you'll recognize any thread Of conversation or or anything else that doesn't fit with that you say no here's what I know to be true and I don't know where that's coming from but I know that's not true there's gonna be a lot of things like that and it's only growing and it's confusing and among churches good evangelical churches there's division over some of these things how do we protect against that church we don't have to go become experts on all of those different things it's good if you're that person who can study, I'd love to have those conversations. Here's, what, here's the, the philosophies and the, the, the threads of thought going on in our society. You don't have to be able to do that, though. You just need to know the foundation of the gospel. Know it, the covenant, so that you could see when something that looks good like Jesus' disciples coming along saying, why aren't you guys fasting like this? This is a good thing. This is what you should be doing. You can say, no. I know what the new is and I'm living in that. And what I need to be worried about is simply trusting Jesus, obeying Him, His words, what He says to do. That's what my deepest concern is, then you'll be OK. We'll be okay. Church. We need to beware that we not let old thinking or contrary to God's word thinking, into the foundational covenant in which we stand. Let's look back in verse 15 first part of it. They come to him saying, why don't your disciples fast? And he has this interesting picture. He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with him? There's a direct answer to their question that probably doesn't fully answer their question because they don't understand fully what he's talking about. But but John's disciples actually have had this analogy already. If you remember, uh, go back in John chapter 3, or over to John chapter 3. Remember when John's disciples, they had this way of complaining, comparing to Jesus. Boy, Jesus' disciples just have it better. It's tough being a disciple of John. They ended up being disciples of Jesus, if you read later in Acts. But... They're going, that, that guy Jesus that you said, you know, you're like making way for him. He's the one who's more important. Now everybody's going over to him to get baptized. What's up with that? So they were asking John that. And then John says in John chapter 3, verse 28, he tells his disciples, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I'm not Christ, but I have been sent before him. And then he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Picturing Jesus as the bridegroom. He's the one who has the bride, not me. The friend of the bridegroom, now speaking of himself, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete because Jesus, the bridegroom, is there and people are going to him. That's what John is saying. That's what's happening. And what does he say after that? He must increase, but I must decrease. His joy is found in seeing Jesus be the one who is glorified. Here's the second part about this new covenant. Jesus is at the center of it. Jesus is at the center of this covenant. It centers on Jesus. At the center of this covenant is joy. Pure joy. Closer you get to Christ. You're talking about this old way of fasting and mourning. And my disciples are in my presence. How inappropriate that is. Because this new thing is centered around Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more joy there is. There's no place for mourning and fasting there in Jesus' presence. I can't imagine what joy, it's going to be when we're fully in his presence. We get to taste it right now. We do. There's joy following Jesus. And, and sometimes that joy ironically comes when you're going through the darkest of times, right? Some of you who have been through those. Realize that because you're, you're closest to Christ as you're holding on to Him through a dark time and you realize that there's an unspeakable, you say, unspeakable joy. I understand what that is now. I can't explain it. There's something that even through tears and, and suffering is a joy, a profound joy because I'm near to my Lord Jesus. What's it going to be like? when we stand face to face with Jesus. At the center of this covenant is the person of Jesus Christ and there is joy in his presence. John the Baptist had joy when Jesus came. When he saw more people going to Jesus, his joy was full. When Jesus says, Obey my commandments, why am I telling you to do this? So that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Joy is a part of this covenant. Pure, unfiltered joy. And then he says, but the days are coming, I'm going away. Second half of verse 15. Days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. It's not going to be the same kind of fasting, though, that was coming from the law, wearing sackcloth and ashes, right? It's... It's actually kind of what Jesus has already described in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't fast this way, fast this way. A fasting that's not putting on a display, but a fasting that's meeting with God quietly. It's in relationship with God. And we see them doing that later. After Jesus is risen, we see this scene in Antioch, right? Where the believers are there gathered, fasting and praying and praying. In fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do in that context? He speaks to them. Set apart Paul and Barnabas to go. Right? That, that's, that's the picture now. And in, in the presence and joy and following the Lord Jesus, fasting takes on a whole new meaning. They will fast because He's no longer present. So in this covenant, in this agreement with God, there is a period of time where the central figure of this covenant is apart from us, right? That's just part of this. He's returning, and we look forward to that day when He returns. But there is a time when, when we do fast and we do seek Him. But this covenant is not carried out by our own doing and strength. Every part of making this happen is carried out by God. He will be sure to complete it. Here's the last thing we can be sure of in this new covenant, is that it has perfect hope. The first covenant didn't. In fact, even as the covenant was being described in the book of Deuteronomy, outlined in in greater detail. Here's the contract. Right there it says, and you're going to break it. That's a very hopeless covenant. When God tells you, even as you're entering into it, you're going to break it and you'll suffer for it. But this one, cannot be broken because the one carrying it, all parts, our part and God's part is God. The Holy Spirit in us, changing our heart, circumcising our heart as a sign of the covenant of Abraham. God's purpose that will be sure to happen because He's carrying it. This covenant has perfect hope. Look in First Peter. Beginning of First Peter. Chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Here's what this time period is like. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, we don't see him. But we love him. Right? Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy. It's inexpressible and filled with glory, even now. Isn't that incredible? And everyone who's gone through a dark time, a difficult time while holding on to Jesus can testify that this is true. I can't explain it, but there's a joy when I hold on to Jesus. And it gets greater the closer we get to Him. We don't see Him, but we love Him, right? Right now, we can't see Him here, but we believe in Him. That's our part in this covenant is to trust the lord jesus to pursue him he will carry us he will be sure to deliver us in the end into glory maybe you don't know jesus yet do you see what jesus has done for you he's drawn up a contract what are the terms of the contract I will bring you everything that you need. I will give you everything that you need in order to accomplish this contract. I will provide eternal life. I will provide glory and blessing and perfect, unfiltered joy in eternity. And for you to enter this contract, you need to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you truly trusted Him? Trusting Him means giving your life to Him. Don't don't be fooled into thinking that it's just I can say a prayer and I'm good, I'm going in. No, it it means trusting Him. Trust Jesus with your life. To Obey what He teaches and says. Yes, I'm going to follow you, Lord Jesus. Then... You've signed the dotted line. True Mm -hmm. belief, true trust in Jesus Christ enters you into a contract that God is sure to carry out. The covenant of God, the new covenant. Perhaps you're in the covenant, but you're struggling because you're feeling like there should there should be something else. <laughs> An amendment. God, now I'm in this covenant, but now I gotta prove it to you. And I'm failing at that. Any part in this that was saying you gotta prove yourself to Christ in order to stay in the covenant? No. That's not part of the terms. That would be a covenant plus. That's actually. What the Galatians were struggling with and and Paul said that's bad. Jesus says that's bad. We have entered into this grace through faith and that's how we stand in it, by faith. Our eyes on Jesus, trusting Him. You don't need to work harder. You need to get closer to Jesus Christ if that's what you're feeling right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus... thank you God when we really dive into what you accomplished what you called even from the beginning even as we were falling into sin Adam and Eve God you were you were promising salvation you had a plan from the very beginning and you have carried it out faithfully God every one of your promises you say Every one of your promises finds its yes in you, Lord Jesus. You are the the way. You are the one who has accomplished every promise, who, who has brought about the fulfillment of covenants. And God, they're not done yet. As I just consider so many things that you have promised that still haven't come to be yet, and the glory that we that we can expect in the future god i think about what it's going to be like i believe lord what you have described is a thousand years where you will reign physically on this earth from jerusalem and we will be there in glorified bodies with you here on this earth as it is god you have promised it so it's going to happen And God, after that, you're going to create a whole new heaven, a whole new earth, a glory beyond what we can even imagine. And God, we will be in your presence forever. You're not going to create a separate heaven and earth, God. You're going to create one together where it's heaven on earth, us dwelling together with you forever, God. And I can't even imagine what that's going to be like, but I know my hope is. It's secure because you have promised it and you will carry it out. You are the one who, who carries covenants to their full end. We don't, God. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you accomplished on the cross so that we can live with you forever, not by our righteousness, but by yours. Lord, help us to live in that. We shouldn't be living in condemnation if, God, you have set us free and you have said that there is no more condemnation. We shouldn't be living without hope if we have eternal hope in you, God. So help us, Holy Spirit. God, if we've been just walking away from you, Lord Jesus, and this is a time that we need to just confess sin and say, no, I want to I walk close to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to do that now. In you is our hope. In you is peace. In you is joy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We worship you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
1: More than all the things you have And more than all the things you give And beyond all the things you do Lord, all I want is you And I don't need to know the plan And I don't need to understand Why you do the things you do Lord, all I need is you And I will seek
0: your
1: face In this whole fall to my knees and I'll worship you and in the midst of my strife Lord you're the light of my life and my heart will not fear I wait for you More than all the things you have More than all the things you give Beyond all the things you do Lord, all I want is you I don't need to know the plan And I don't need to understand Why you do the things you do All I need is you And I will seek your holy place And I will fall to my knees And I'll worship you In the midst of my strife Lord, you're the light of my life And my heart will not fear As I wait for you More than all the things you have More than all the things you give Beyond all the things you do Lord, all I want is you. And I don't need to know the plan. And I don't need to understand why you do the things you do. Because all I need is you.
0: Lord, that is the truth. Our hope isn't in understanding your plan. Our hope isn't in everything going according to our plan. What we need, Lord, is simply found in you. Trusting you, knowing, God, that you do have a good plan for our lives, for your purpose. A plan that sees eternity. God, perhaps you take us down a path that's difficult in order to bring about salvation for someone else. God, to your glory, to the glory of your purpose, let it be. We don't need to understand. We just need to know, God, that you are the one calling the shots. You are the one in control. We're trusting you. Thank you, Lord for your love, for your care, for your guidance, for your faithfulness, for the hope that we have in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Love you, church.